Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose of 20 minutes or so of thoughts of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. Uh, you've got me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And this week we're starting looking at uh, the broader business of operational and real estate, not least because we spent uh, a day last week at the Operational Real Estate Festival, uh, our one-day event in London, um, chewing over matters uh, to do with all sorts of operational real estate. We kicked off by hearing about was from uh, kind of the, the broader economic issues that are affecting all sorts of operational real estate. Um, and a reminder from uh, Nico Zumilo, uh, who's the director of the Real Estate uh, Institute at the Bartlett, that while we focus perhaps on um, issues such as inflation and working from home and these sort of trends, they do affect uh, different parts of the real estate world in very different ways. Um, and this uneven impact is, is played out in the way that so even a single sector of real estate may be affected very, very differently. For example, offices in the central business district of a city are feeling the impact of uh, working from home or hybrid working much more than those in uh, the suburbs. These issues are impacting all sorts of uh, institutional and uh, entrepreneurial investors who are looking for value and looking for opportunity. So just as some see uh, the need to get out of a sector and are taking perhaps a bit of a hit, others are spotting opportunities and diving in with the prospect perhaps of uh, switching uses and uh, repurposing buildings in more effective ways. One of the other big topics that was talked about uh, on the day was the whole business of understanding your customer and meeting their expectations. The hotel sector is a sector that very often gets referred to as other sectors look to understand how better to serve their customers and how better to drive operational real estate returns. And we heard from um, businesses across um, built to rent residential homes, um, people who are building kind of more flexible apart hotel style offerings and all of them looking to understand uh, what it is that people love about hotels and how you can bring that into your business, whatever your business offers in some um, finessed and slightly different way. So Andrew, what are your takeaways from the a very heavy day of, uh, uh, of, of chat and, uh, and understanding? Yes, it's interesting how different the atmosphere is at an event which uh, looks at a range of different asset classes rather than um, the normal ones I rock up to which are just focused on the hotel sector and maybe a little bit of you know, the, the bits either side of the hotel sector such as hostels or service departments. But this is across the whole spectrum. Um, you've got the uh, um, build to rents you've got uh, purpose-built student housing you've got the elder living piece in particular as the three sort of bigger ones alongside uh, hospitality is the fourth big one but of course you've got even stuff like flex office and what have you we didn't really touch much on flex office we didn't really touch that much on stuff like self-storage but um really where we 
what we were talking a lot about were these buildings with beds and it's interesting the different dynamics in different markets um, uh, across but of course as we've been talking about in uh, hotel analysts for some time what goes on in student housing is going to impact what's going to go on in the residential uh, rental market is going to impact what goes on in short-term rentals um, so you have this need to understand everything it's either both from the point of view of the assets themselves um because their availability and it cost is going to be you know price is going to be significantly impacted by you know what else is going on in the marketplace there um but also on the, on the customer side as well there are um there are interesting um overlaps not always obviously you know if you're if you're looking for student accommodation you're not looking for a short-term rental as a different thing but in in terms of the types of things you're supplying to the to the customer so you know we had ryan prince um well known for um, being a big hotel investor out of Canada through Realstar his new brand uncle um, which is in that build to rent uh, space and you know he talks about how you know he's bringing hotel like sensibilities to the product offering in build to rent so I think there is this this interesting overlap there the other thing um, I found encouraged by is when you have your prejudice confirmed as it were um, <laughs> So when um, Nico Sumilo, the uh, professor at uh, UCL, University College London, um, gave his presentation, um, he was sort of highlighting a lot of the things we've been talking about in Hotel Analyst over the past couple of years, uh, particularly in regard to inflation and interest rates. So he's pointing out that, look, inflation really is impacting the poorest people in society, not really hitting the the richest and this is something we've been saying look the bulk of um uh, business for travel and tourism comes out of the the top third of the um, income um, status in terms of households um therefore they are not really going to get impacted by this uh, so-called cost of living crisis uh and equally um the the whole interest rate rising um, cycle is not really impacting in the way that was anticipated. Um, Nico, who has links with uh, the Bank of England, uh, goes to some of their meetings, understands some of their thought processes, and I think there's been oh, you know, we're, we're ratcheting up interest rates, but that's not having the impact in subduing uh, appetites for spending quite in the way we thought. And part of the reason for that, of course, is that if you look at mortgage rates um either you've got a third of people who don't have a mortgage lucky people and you've got a th uh, another third plus who are on fixed rates and it's only as they come to an end that the impact comes through so it's a much more delayed response and this is clearly what we're seeing at the moment in terms of those interest rate rises um few other bits that uh, Nico highlighted was the whole uh, work from home piece which has uh, um, been a huge impact and he was suggesting just how big that impact is going to be on the broader real estate market and he's saying you know that the, there's a new spatial economy as as he described it emerging um, 
and um, in particular um, the specifics of this is that the suburbs are up and the urban centres currently are down and how much this is going to continue is obviously a, a subject for considerable discussion um, and you know the final point I think to make well two points there's actually not the final point the penultimate point is uh, that the big thing holding back investment volumes and he showed put up some Savills data that showed that uh, even next year uh, transaction volumes are not going to be anywhere near their sort of long-term trend over there over the last 10 years um, so still subdued transaction volumes and he said the key thing is uncertainty the, you know the uncertainty around interest rates the uncertainty of what's going on the uncertainty about you know this new spatial economy we've just mentioned all of this kind of thing um, and the final point he made um and it's very much i think um you know one i think perhaps we haven't done enough on this and it's certainly something worth talking about is heterogeneity which is this idea that there's differences within individual markets so if you take for example um he used to up to to highlight his point what's going on in uh cities in terms of office vacancies and he showed in paris um in the, in the central business district vacancies were just two and a half percent um, but they increase up to 20 percent as you get to the outskirts of Paris and this you know this huge range um, shows just you know the variation that's there within that in that Paris office market so you can't really talk about a Paris office market in a meaningful way you've got to talk about what's going on in the center of Paris and what's going on in the outskirts of Paris in the, and, and you know you can do a similar thing a similar exercise across all of the different asset classes so I think that that was a you know really interesting um presentation we had and they got into the the details of that in the panel um uh, Nico's colleague Yolanda Barnes, um, also of the the Bartlett Real Estate Institute, um, she went uh, talking about um, her her piece is really hypermixity. This this notion that you know what you've got to have is hybrid concepts. These are the things that are going to succeed. And she talked about the shift from a sort of twentieth century, or at least a late twentieth uh, century mindset, into a twenty first century mindset, and that investors need to look to add value rather than rely on a downward yield shift. Again, that's something we've we've talked about. And you know, cash is going to be very highly prized by a lot of investors because that's meeting their liability so pension funds and insurance companies in particular are going to like investing in operational real estate because of that cash that that is throwing off um, and that's going to be a bigger driver than looking at capital growth um, within within real estate investment so I think we're looking at you know what was highlighted here and is it really useful to have these academics on board to talk about um, things from a sort of slightly longer term perspective than we typically tend to do um, and, and look at the long term issues that are affecting the investment sector. Now let's talk about three businesses that are in the uh, alternative accommodation space um, and on the face of it very different businesses but actually united by some common themes. The three are Selena who are busily kind of building a network of um, uh, sort of almost like hostel type accommodation including co-working space the stuff, sort of stuff for the digital nomads there's Soho House who are building a somewhat more upmarket uh, portfolio of 
clubs, clubhouses, and uh, and hotels. Um, very much a food and beverage-led operation in many places. And the third one, uh, and they all begin with S, is Sonda, which is uh, the sort of apart hotel, tech-led apart hotel business um, that on the face of it perhaps may be uh, serving primarily business uh, customers staying for uh, longer periods, but um, perhaps when you dig a little deeper, it's a bit more complex than that. Anyway, all are united, but not just by the letter S, but by the fact that they've all floated in America. And more importantly for us, as we look at them, they're all businesses that are trying to grow, uh, but have yet to reach a, a period where they're actually making any profit. Um, all very well for shareholders, but once you're listed, those shareholders do want to see a path to profitability. And um, that's the challenge. How do you grow? How do you invest in growth while starting to deliver uh, some periods of uh, profitability? Yeah, I think Soho House is the furthest down the track in, in reaching that holy grail of profitability. Um, the, there are bigger challenges for both Selena and Sonda, I'd suggest. Um, but the key thing is that all three are faced, they've just changed, they've faced a changed uh, financing environment. Um, basically, the you know as interest rates have gone up, it, it means that uh, it costs them more to borrow money now, um, obviously. Um, and that their future profits, which they're promising investors, are worth less. Um, finances will talk about the discount rate rate going up, um, and this is affecting startups not just in hospitality or real estate investment, but uh, but across the piece. This is lies behind, you know, part of the the tech meltdown. Um, so whilst the stock market in the states is benefiting from the very biggest tech companies those already in profit the it's been very very tough period indeed for those who are starting up and uh, you know seeking to grow um, and we've seen a lot of fallout at that uh, at that level um, thanks to the changed financing environment um, if you look at what all three of the companies we're mentioning here are doing it, it is about um, sacrificing some future growth potential in favor of you know getting to profitability as quickly as possible cutting costs um, and you know that they're shedding some of the development teams and that kind of thing and focusing very much on driving as much revenue as possible out of their existing business I mean Soho House's case this has been about um, looking very much at its offer inside the houses and in particular it's done a lot of work on its F&B and it's you know quite dramatically improved its F&B margins and you know this is a company that has the NED and a bunch of other things like that so there's got some pretty big F&B um, margins but it uh, F&B operations but the margins now um, um, have, have have gone up quite significantly over the last few years so you know they're having good success there they are continuing to open um, clubs i mean they're talking about they still have a pipeline of five to seven clubs opening over the next three years but they were largely there um because of the, the, the how long it takes to open these clubs they were largely in place before this new round of sort of cost cuts and focus on profitability it's really a question of what happens after uh, the next three years you know is there suddenly just going to be a stop in terms of that growth and that's certainly one to watch but uh, I, I do think overall Soho House is in a in a better place um, for Selena um, I think it's tougher um, 
they are nowhere near um um you know making enough money even to cover operating expenses and this is a problem um for them they've had some difficult conversations with landlords they've shed a few a uh, few of their some of their prime um um assets actually i remember some of the investor calls they did was at their their site in costa rica which they've now got rid of um um simply because they you know it wasn't generating enough money um and i think one of the problems they have i mean i i think i like the idea of the concept i mean it's this co-working they talk about co-working recreation wellness and local experiences that all that's all great but i, I think the big flaw in their strategy is this focus on millennial and gen z and sure that's going to be the place to be in 10 or 20 years time but right now i'd suggest they do a lot better with a few boomers and gen <laughs> xers and they might actually then generate enough revenue to cover their operations expenses and finally um, we've got probably the biggest pivot of all has happened at Sonda which uh, now looks more like a technology solutions provider than it did than it does its sort of original plan which was to be a tech enabled operator um, so it's supposed to be it was kind of like Airbnb but whereas Airbnb is simply a platform Sonda the the idea behind Sonda was that it's going to get its hands dirty roll its sleeves up and get stuck into actually operating things um, but of course the problem with that as we know the the growth is going to be much slower doing that and so it's said oh okay what we'll do is we'll just um, uh, furnish a bunch of effectively rivals um with their technology so quite what that does um to their long-term um prospects i don't know but i guess the priority very much now is their short-term prospects mm. uh, one interesting one of their rivals called lyric um that was invested in um pre-pandemic by airbnb airbnb was also very worried about the idea that they were going to be up against a sort of vertically integrated rival and uh, they put some cash into lyric but lyric called it a day in uh, very early into the pandemic lockdowns um and you know it shut down its rental business it still sort of has some sort of uh tech offer but that, that that's it really um sonda hasn't gone all that you know into that as badly as uh, lyric has in terms of shutting down its rental property offer but clearly now it's what 250 rental properties um uh, the end of its uh, uh end of june um and in that same quarter it added 850 under it this new tech concept powered by sonda so it's it, it's a very different uh, beast um we'll see what it looks like you know as it you know providing it does manage to to hang on uh we've got a quick look at the luxury segment of the hotel marketplace which seems to have uh survived uh the the pandemic uh, as, as you were mentioning earlier you know there are certain parts of the world that uh, uh certain parts of the landscape that are less affected by inflation than others and uh, those who have plenty of money are are among those who are less affected and uh, as a result the the luxury hotel market seems to be going from strength to strength um and not only is uh, demand uh, strong for super luxury and super luxury hotels uh, but investors are very happy backing them still further and um, Aman Resorts has recently secured another 360 million dollars to help drive its development forward um, and uh, funds have come from uh, some some from the Middle East and following 
some funds they pulled in last year from Saudi Arabia. So Amman looks to be going strong. Um, plenty of others are building out their uh, their pipelines to expand their luxury and super luxury hotel brands uh, in a market that's still not substantially dominated by by brands because some of the challenges are if you're expanding a luxury uh, brand portfolio where do you plant your flags uh, you've got to find places that have uh, other attractions for your well-heeled visitors unless you're going to go to the trouble of building a, a substantial resort that's uh, got everything on site um, and then of course the other issue is um, how long can you remain exclusive if you keep on opening more and more hotels um, and so we've, we've recently seen for example uh, a man has already got a, a second brand uh, we've also seen uh, Rosewood recently uh, acquire some properties in uh, New Zealand which are quite different from their sort of regular hotel properties uh, effectively you're kind of testing out a subsidiary brand there as well um, and uh, one of the markets where potentially there may be some issues with perhaps a little bit too much supply um, is is London. We were speaking with um, Phil Campbell at Whitebridge and uh, he points out there's perhaps uh, oh, at least uh, 10, perhaps a dozen new luxury segment hotels coming into the London market. Uh, well, one or two just landed and a few in the pipeline for opening in the next year or two. And uh, that will certainly prove a, a test for London as to whether uh, the market can can cope with that volume of uh, new supply at the, the top end of the market. But for now, there seems to be no end to the demand for luxury. Yeah, I mean, the big issue when you start talking about stuff like this is it's very much like lifestyle. It's what's the definition? Mm. What do you mean by luxury? How do you define it? Um, and there are all sorts of problems. So you, in your piece, Chris, you, you looked at some uh, data or rather a report by JLL that relied on data from STR. There's nothing wrong with the STR data, very solid as always, but um, they have this chain scale um, classification system. And so, for example, Intercontinental is a luxury product um, whereas Hyatt Regency is an upper upscale and that in part it's because Hyatt has a couple of other things which are already in the the luxury end of the market so it's uh, Park Hyatt um, and Grand Hyatt sit in there um, but you know there's a massive overlap here um, you've got uh, so the Churchill in London that used to be an intercontinental and is now a Hyatt Regency. And you wouldn't really say that the that the hotel has gone <laughs> down market with um, with Hyatt there. Um, so it, it's you know, and and therefore you know, doing the you know, if you define it like this, I think you've got all sorts of issues. I, the, the approach I liked best was one that uh, Morgan Stanley uh, adopted. Um, they did a report back in um, April of this year, um, and they really looked at all of the both luxury and the lifestyle product that's out there among the the bigger brands, um, listing you know, including those upper upscale ones and anything that you know sort of wasn't clearly sort of mid-market or below was sort of included in their numbers um and it's a big old market you know they they talked about it you know net sort of something like 100 billion us dollars just room revenues that you can add in another 50 billion of uh um, ancillary revenues F and B and banqueting and stuff like that so it is a big old market but you know defined as 
as that that's quite a different beast to say what we're talking about with Amman you know it's a very different kind of which is that kind of really special elite offer um which is where Amman sits um um interesting there's another report um last month um by analysts at Bernstein and they looked at the suite market as in the um you know hotel suites um and what the demand there was and they were saying at the very highest end there's almost you know unquenchable demand um that that and at the very top suites those were sort of branded presidential or royal you know the only ones i know you Mm -hmm. only ever stay at chris when you go (laughs) overseas um um, and those sort of places, the, 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 those sort of rooms, actually what they're fetching in room rate terms, they're 50%, almost sometimes twice as much um, per square metre um, as an average room. Now, normally what happens as you go get slightly bigger rooms, the price per square metre just dips down. And, and, you know, there's this trend that they've, you know, the data the analysts Bernstein collected showed this. And then you got to the royal or the presidential suite and boff the the price went up and there was this unquenchable kind of appetite you know we had to stay at the best and it was you know and there was this sort of scarcity value piece within that so but the the problem with that you can't build a hotel which only has presidential Mm. suites you know by (laughs) definition um and 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 you know and and it's going to be a problem i think um um if if that is your target but you know for the likes of oman yeah it can work that exclusivity but it's not going to be that big and broader market so the question really i'd ask and you know something in my commentary i i talk about is where do you want to be with this and certainly aman is a very tasty um, business to be in it's going to be very high margin very profitable but not of mass scale and it's not going to be a huge business it's that n- notch down so you know if let, let's look at the phone market do you remember vertu do you remember um, vertu phones totally. um when oh back in the day mm-hmm. with with nokia um they had a and um, they were sort of nokia technology behind them but they were they're made in the uk and they went for up to fifty thousand us dollars each you know they are all really <laughs> blinged out with uh, gold and jewels and all that kind of stuff on them um whereas apple on the other hand you know they're sort of luxury you could argue they're really mid-range to upscale phones with an extraordinary mm. margin on them but they sell them like a you know a luxury product effectively and they're perceived they have that kind of perception um and that's you know and um, where are we today well we're we're with a situation where apple has a market cap of um two to uh, 1,670 billion, um, nearly 3 trillion US dollars. Um, and the former Virtu factory in Hampshire is now a retail park. And I think that does suggest to me where, you know, where the big win is going to be in this. So you, and it's LVMH you want to be um, with this. You want to get to that scale. Um, and this is the key, the key point. It's less about Amman. It's much more about that that wider marketplace now it's time to turn to our five star and no star awards for this week and we're giving five stars to minor international uh, based in thailand uh, but a global hotel company they've uh, agreed a uh, 500 million euro refinancing uh, but the loan is a sustainability linked loan uh, it's the first of its kind in uh, the thai tourism and leisure center sector and um 
uh, interesting also that uh, the banks who uh, have, have, sh have shelled out this these funds in a in a syndicate um, were very keen to do so almost a billion uh, euros was on offer for this uh, this loan so uh, well done to miner for taking that lead um, ties them to improving their their carbon footprint at their hotels at large which is uh, always good news and no stars this week uh, are being awarded to booking.com um, a report in the guardian tells us that uh, they've left quite a number of hoteliers thousands of dollars out of pocket because they've not been settling up for the rooms that were sold through the platform um, now the uh, booking apparently blamed this uh, lack of payments on a technical issue apparently this is particularly bad in across thailand indonesia and europe um and uh of course you know a lot of small hotels rely on platforms such as booking to deliver them customers and they're the very small businesses that uh, can't cope very well when cash flow is compromised because one of your partners doesn't pony up yeah tech company having a tech problem there is a certain irony there isn't there but, yes um uh, <laughs> it's always the case it's uh, i don't know whether it's just sold to law but every time i have a conference call a zoom call or whatever um it's always the tech company that i'm that, that somehow it fails to connect they 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 can't do teams or their zoom isn't working or or whatever it's just you know if if, if it's going to be a, if there's going to be a problem during my day with one of these calls it's going to be the one with the <laughs> there, we tech go, company, there we go sanitary uh, tail and on that less than happy note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>